Welcome to the Thriving Solopreneur Show, where you learn the stories and systems that have turned hardworking, self-employed business owners like yourself into highly successful, leisurely entrepreneurs. This show is dedicated to those who went into business for themselves because they had an idea or suggestion that ignited their passions to do more, to do it better, and to solve a problem in our community. Whether your business started in a basement, a garage, or at a kitchen table, this episode will bring to you a system, a tip, or an entrepreneur that has been where you are and can guide you to living the fulfilling life you desire for yourself. Here's your host and serial solopreneur, Janine Bolin. Hey, welcome to The Thriving Solopreneur. I am Janine Bolin, and today's guest is Teresa Funk, who believes that there is an artist in everyone. Her newest book, Bursts of Brilliance for a Creative Life, helps readers ignite their creative spirit and rediscover their passion, their purpose, and their power. This highly reviewed book is based on Teresa's popular weekly blog, which was run consecutively since 2014. Teresa is the embodiment of the modern artist and entrepreneur. She is the owner of Teresa Funk and Company, Victory House Press, and Bursts of Brilliance. She has authored seven award-winning novels for adults and children set in World War II, one of my personal favorites, Dancing in Combat Boots, and War on a Sunday Morning. Teresa is a literacy a uh, community catalyst, speaking widely and running programs that support history education and literacy, writing the arts and personal development. She is a frequent podcast and radio guest and a popular panelist on topics ranging from creativity, innovation to entrepreneurship to arts advocacy. Teresa is also the proud mother of three amazing grown children and has a goal to visit a new state or country each year. Thank you so much for being with us today, Teresa. Oh, thank you, Janine. It's great to be here. So one of the lovely things we like about this particular show is that we cater to solopreneurs. And you were just saying to me before we got on, hey, you know, it's really nice to be talking about solopreneurs and not entrepreneurs. So share with us a little bit about your perspective of the joy of being a solopreneur versus entrepreneur, because you were sharing a little bit about that before the show. Yeah, absolutely. I have been a solopreneur for 30 years. And what's interesting about the entrepreneurs is entrepreneurs, oftentimes people feel like an entrepreneur is somebody who's going to start something with the intention of growing it and eventually having a staff and, um, you know, all kinds of people, consultants and people working with them. And solopreneurs, we, we don't necessarily have that desire and goal. Um, we love being on our own, working on our own, learning everything. Um, we do everything from that make the highest level decisions to take out the trash and we like it that way. And so for me to have committed to being a solopreneur for 30 years, I could have gone in different directions, but this is how I like to work. And so I'm really excited to be talking to other solopreneurs because I think we're, we're a special breed. We're definitely unique. And one of the things I've learned from many of my businesses is that I love the solopreneur process. So my whole goal is to run a business. And then when I start getting bored with that business, I set up automation processes. I get things rolling, make it profitable, sell it, start the next uh, solopreneur venture, whatever that happens to be. So that was something that was kind of fun to chat with you a little bit about and wanted the audience to know, look, you are in good hands with Teresa because she totally understands your plight <laughs> on that. So talk to us a little bit about the premise of your current book and the reason for writing it, because it was kind of set you off on a different layer. You know, you kind of moved in a different direction with this new book. 
Yes. So for 27 years, I was writing and researching World War II and loved it, still love it. Um, but in, you know, when I started to create the blog, Bursts of Brilliance for a Creative Life in 2014, I kind of knew in the beginning that this was taking me in a new direction. This writing inspirational, personal growth, support, encouragement was very different from telling fiction stories about World War II. So this was a whole new place for me to explore. But in the early part of my career, I wrote personal essays to find my voice as a writer. And, and in personal essays, we're often you know, investigating ourselves. And what I found was that I kept coming around to identity in my personal essays, like what's your identity? And so writing something really personal, really vulnerable in a, in a way that is hopefully inspiring was not something completely new to me when I started the blog. I had done it successfully through those essays in the past. But to think of writing a weekly blog where you have to be on and inspiring and really vulnerable every week, that was a little bit scary. Like, as, is this going to work? And, you know, the key to my blog is that I am very vulnerable and I'm very honest about my journey as an author, as an artist, as an entrepreneur. And um, that's been the focus of Bursts of Brilliance for a Creative Life has been journey along with me and see how you connect. Let's see where, where do our journeys overlap and what can I say that might help you find encouragement in the directions that you are taking to follow your own passion and your own energy. So you were talking about how you've been a solopreneur for 30 years and that this was something that you were committed to. Like you knew it was going to be a type of lifestyle and what have you. Well, 30 years is a long time. And that was back in the dark ages before we had Wi-Fi. I don't think a lot of people understand that when you chose to become an a solopreneur, that was a very challenging uh, decision. So what kind of moved you into that category? And then how did you allow yourself to thrive? Because there's a lot of self-development that's required in order for you to stay a solopreneur. So talk to us a little bit about that. That's a great question because as an author, no one tells authors or young writers when they start out that you're going to be owning a business if you are a writer. No one tells us that. And even if you're with a traditional publisher, you still are going to be potentially doing some speaking or some school visits or some other things that you're going to have to account for and have to set up a business and, and some structure around that. So that was a surprise to me. I mean, I was a liberal arts major. I didn't ever intend to own a business. So I kind of stumbled into owning a business in the beginning. So as an author, I was sort of automatically a solopreneur. But then as I started to grow the business, I realized there were a lot of things I could do in the community. So community programs and community outreach that I could run through my business, through sponsorship models or through, um, you know, partnership models that I could do myself. And that's when I started to feel more like an actual solopreneur, like somebody who wasn't just an, an author who was managing their author business. And at that point, I did do, I, I read a lot of business books and I read uh, marketing, tons of marketing books, right? And I became sort of a, an expert for marketing, particularly for a lot of authors, but also for just these programs I was doing in the community that really meant a lot to me because I was supporting book ownership for children. I was supporting literacy. I was supporting the arts. And so, yes, I did have to kind of grow into becoming a solopreneur and treating this like a business. And then, as you mentioned, um, you know, sometimes we start something, it works really well, and we can turn it over to someone else. We can sell it or 
or we can um, have somebody else help us run it. Or sometimes, you know, we, we do something really awesome and wonderful and it runs its course. And that's never, for me, that's never been a sad thing. It's always, I'm really proud of those projects and I learn so much from them that when something does run its course and it's time to let it go, I always feel really good about that. So I think, um, I think as solopreneurs, that's a big part of our process is thinking about what's here for the long haul, what's here for the short term, and you know, are there things that I can build that don't require me, that could, require, that could be handed off in some way? So that's a very interesting perspective. Well, and I like the, the fact that you talk about there are things that run its course, and some people will call that failure. Like you'll set up an idea, you'll run something for a period of time, and then it just stops, quote, quote, working. And some people see that as failure where folks like you and I say, no, it was complete. It was done. I got what I wanted out of it. Uh, yeah, it may have cost me money instead of making me money, which was that's always the hope, but really sometimes that's not the end goal. And so talk to us a little bit about how sometimes we just do things because of the sheer joy of the creation of it. Can you kind of talk to us a little bit about your story on where some of those things worked out for you? Well, I know this sounds kind of cliche, but I don't really actually believe in failure. I think that everything that I have done that hasn't worked out so great, where maybe I lost a little money or it didn't have the response that I thought it would have, I've learned from it. And because I learn from it, I'm able to do better the next time. Or, you know, sometimes I'll develop something like we developed a program a while back for a nonprofit organization, and we put a lot of work into this. And in the end, it didn't wind up going. It didn't get approval. Now, you could have looked at all that time spent as wasted time, but we've been able to pilfer from that, <laughs> from that program we developed as we've developed other programs. We're like, wait, didn't we do this? Once already, and we go back and we pull pieces and parts from it. I think most writers understand this because when we're writing our stories, our imagined stories, there are scenes we have to cut. It's called killing your darlings. And it hurts. It really hurts to kill your darlings, but we, you know it has to happen for that book. But there's always this thing in the back of your head where you say, well, maybe I can use it in another book or story. And it's the same thing with our businesses. So when I start a project that doesn't have the result I would have preferred, I know that there's a possibility I can come back to it, that maybe the time wasn't right for it. It might've been ahead of its time a little bit, or that there's a piece of it that I can pull to create something else new and different. So I'm always really proud of everything that I've done and that um, you know the consultants have helped me create. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the attitude I have is that there's no such thing as wasted effort ever. And when I, when I mention failure, it's sometimes I've had people label that for me. Like, they're like, oh, so that was a failure. And I was like, um, I'm kind of more along Teresa's camp on that one, which is I don't see it personally as a failure, but other people may label it that way. And so one of the things I like to share with solopreneurs is whether you label it a failure or a success or whatever your markers were, I love the fact that you brought up maybe the timing wasn't right. I'm notorious for being seven years ahead of my time on certain things. And then somebody else, well, you know, I'll see somebody else be insanely successful, but it was because you were right. It was a timing issue. People weren't ready for what I had or the way it was run. So thank you for bringing that point up. So when it comes to what you're doing with your business now versus when you were first starting out, like you said, you read a lot. You read a ton of books on marketing because as an author, uh, not really good on that. I mean, I wasn't 
uh, my, my career path didn't help support me for that. Um, so what do you recommend for folks who are just getting into business or they're just starting their business? There comes a point where you have to stop taking other people's advice and just do it yourself or do your own way. What do you recommend? Because I was very impressed when you said that you don't write your articles to the SEO. You're not worried about the level of Yoast that you have going on with your, your design. The fact that you kind of throw all that out and just write to your passion is very important. So there's that balance of the marketing versus writing to your passion. So you mind talking a little bit about that? Sure. Yes. I think it's really important that uh, for me with the learning aspect of it, you asked about, I do read a lot of books and I am very careful about the books I choose. I choose books that other friends have recommended, particularly my intuitive friends um, who follow their intuition in their businesses. And you know, what I do is when something sparks, I take that piece of advice. I don't take all of the piece of advice. I'm not the type of person who's going to sign up for a course with a coach that's going to, you know, walk me through a, a set type of, of practices because I tend to be more aware of what works for me and what doesn't. And I want to be able to build my business knowing what my strengths and weaknesses are. So I've spent a lot of time studying my strengths and weaknesses through things like Strengths Finder or, you know, you know, even just being aware of things like your Myers-Briggs. It's like, okay, what are my strengths and my weaknesses? What gives me energy? Because those are the paths I should follow. If something's going to drain all my energy, and yes, as solopreneurs, we have to do things that we don't always enjoy, but I try to put the most of my effort into the things that are going to raise my energy and hand off the things that drain my energy, which for me is more like the spreadsheet type of <laughs> activities. So I think it's really important that you, you do the learning, you talk to people, you see what works for other people, and then you do have to adapt it for yourself. And the second part of your question, um, I did make an intentional choice when I started this blog, and I even put it in the blog, I will not be writing to trends or keyword searches or SEO or you know whatever's going on in the country right now that everyone feels obligated to talk about. Um, I'm going to write where my inspiration leads me to write. And I had to just trust that because, you know, the SEO people that I went and did a consultation with are like, no, no, that's the wrong way to do it. And I get that advice a lot in my career with people saying, all of the books and all of the studies and all the research shows you should do this. You're doing it the opposite way. It's not going to work. But for me, that feels authentic and it does work because I'm following my chosen path and what I believe in versus um, trying to manufacture success based on these rules of the game. I like the way you say that, that it, the way to manufacture success, because that puts us in the Henry Ford model and the conveyor belt, which is the antithesis to solopreneurs. Uh, we, if we were running things like everyone else, we, we wouldn't be driving. I mean, most of us get into business because we think we have a better way. We have a better idea. We have a solution that our community needs that's outside the box. So to put us on any kind of a conveyor belt or use any sort of manufacturing is not appropriate at the initial stages, you know, when we're first starting out. But then once we have systems and processes, then we can start manufacturing uh, our success, but because it's based on our own systems and processes. So 
I would love for you to share with us a little bit, if you can, a an actual example of something that you had to do your own way and then ended up starting to manufacture your success based on your internal model. I think one of the first times that I, I did what you're asking about was back in when I decided to become a self-published author. So this was in the the early part of the century around 2000, I was considering self-publishing my novel and all of my friends told me not to. They all said, you will sink your career if you self-publish a novel. At the time, self-published um, nonfiction was maybe okay, but not fiction. And they said, you know, you will never get that book reviewed. Nobody touches a self-published book for reviews. And I said, well, 10% of people read the reviews in newspapers and 85% read feature stories. So I'll get feature stories. And I did because my story was based on a true story. And so that was one of those times when I could see a trend coming. I could see that, first of all, um, self-publishing was going to grow. And I could see that things were changing in the publishing industry that were making it harder to get stories like mine out there, even though the editors were telling me what a great book it was. And so I was able to say to myself, this is risky. This is not recommended. Everyone's telling me not to do this. This is not the standard way to get your books published. And I did it anyway. And it wound up launching my career and, you know, and launched eight books and a lot of other aspects of my career. So it wasn't that I was unaware of the traditional way to publish a book, of the proper way to publish a book. And even when I did my marketing, I was able to do new things with marketing because I wasn't tied to a publisher that was telling me what to do and what not to do. So I was able to create some new types of publishing that then my traditional, traditionally published friends were coming to me and saying, how did you do that? Do you think that could work for my book? And, you know, I was able to have that freedom to try that. So that would just be an example of be aware of the rules so that you know how to break them. And that's what I did. It's like so many aspects in life. It it's where when you're a new person to something, you follow the rules to start off with. But as you master those rules, then uh, that's what a master is, somebody who knows how to break the rules appropriately. And when you and I were first starting to run through our publishing experiences, it was during the time where self-publishing was called vanity publishing. Remember, you were so vain that you were publishing your own material. You weren't good enough to be able to be a part of the publishing houses. But I made a decision myself uh, after 12 uh, people said, oh, this is a great book, but no, you don't have the authority to write on money since you have no experience with it. I'm like, I'm wealthy. Isn't that enough experience? You know, I had these experiences. I had people I was teaching. And so one of the things that ended up happening was then fell into debt and then came back out. And so I felt like I had experience on this. And so I wasn't considered an authority by the publishing standards, like you said, but vanity publishing. So you decided I was going to write a novel, I'll write a feature story. So all that happened. So talk to us a little bit about how bursts of brilliance. Okay, so you you started off on this path of writing World War II uh, featured stories, you were interviewing people, and then you decided to take your blog and make it a book. Talk to us a little bit about the business side of that that caused you uh, to have to kind of shift your focus in ways that you didn't have to do with your first book, your first set of series. Yes, that's very interesting because with the first book, 
I sort of became the World War II lady. That's what the kids would call me. And my persona was around this World War II author, which was intriguing in itself because I write in a really unique manner in that all of my books are based on real people that I interview. So if you go to the Teresa Funk and Company website, you will see me very present on that website. It's me and my books. It's me and what I can share with you about writing. It's me and how I can connect you to more resources for World War II. When we developed the website and the social media for Bursts of Brilliance made the decision that I wouldn't be as visible, that the concept would be put forward more so than me. So this wasn't my author website. This was the Bursts of Brilliance website. And it was about the blog and the book and the inspirational um, social media we do. And it's built so that it can, at, in the future, incorporate some other ideas that I have, maybe even ideas that I could then eventually sell. So yes, I did make a, a decision with Bursts of Brilliance that in that case, the concept would come first. So I trademarked the term Bursts of Brilliance and I treated it very much like this is a business about inspiring people. I happen to be the founder, but this isn't Teresa and her Bursts of Brilliance. And so it was a very, it's a very different mindset when we're creating the social media, for example, we have to shift gears in our head between, you know, you know, Teresa Funk and World War II and over here Bursts of Brilliance and all that we can provide for the people who follow us there. So it is built to be a different kind of a business. So it's really inter interesting that you picked up on that. There are a lot of times that authors struggle to do what you just did, which is some of my books, it's all about me as the creator. Then the other books are about my reader and the message I'm trying to give to them. And that almost, uh, I like to affectionately call schizophrenic, bouncing back and forth between where is the focus? Is it on me as an interviewer or is it on my reader or what have you? So as solopreneurs, we actually have to do this as business people all the time. So would you like to share a little bit about where you have to shift those gears as a business owner? Yeah, I mean, I think, again, as a business owner, even looking at things like um, what sells best with my World War II books is my bundles. So I, you can buy the Homefront Heroes collection, which is all five of my children's books, or the Teresa Funk collection, which is all seven of my World War II books together. And that sells best, and it makes me the most money. So when Bursts of Brilliance came out, it's like, well, how do we do that? How do we take that concept of the bundle over with just one book and a blog? Like, what are we bundling? And so I decided to focus on groups, so organizations, businesses, um, education, and book clubs, people who would like the concept of increasing creativity in the people they work with. And they can buy the books, like if you buy two, um, I think if you buy two, you get one free. If you buy four, five, you get two free. That's it. That's the bundle. And so we started creating those bundles because like if you have a book club and you have eight members and you buy five and you get two free, you know, we want to move those books in quantity. That's the goal because that's how you make money as a self-published author. And so it was even just something as simple as that. That's a very simple example of like, what did I have that worked with Teresa Funk and Company? And how do I modify that to work with Bursts of Brilliance? 
And now that Burst of Brilliance has been around for a couple of years, I'm starting to see it go the other direction, where some things that work for me on Burst of Brilliance we're now incorporating into Teresa Funk and Company. So that's a, it's a small example, but it's like a, a, I think it's a really easy one to get your head around. Well, and it's huge because when self-publishing first started, that was one of the things that we had to do that most publishing houses didn't. We didn't have chains of marketing. We didn't have marketing outlets. We weren't uh, producers of the massive content like a publishing house. So we had to come up with new ways. And one of those was how do you sell your, sell your books? And uh, many of us found different avenues uh, of doing that. So we were selling to corporations who were doing off-staff retreats or trying to get uh, back back at the time, trying to get people educated on what's the difference between a traditional and a Roth IRA because that had just come out. And so they were using books like mine that help people get into debt-free living to be able to do that kind of thing. So fun and games, right? Whether you're a novelist or a nonfiction writer, there's always ways that you can sell your books in bulk and partner and partner with companies and, and groups to be able to do that. So as we wrap up with this, talk to us a little bit, if you don't mind, what are some last minute uh, suggestions or parting advice that you can give to us about how to protect and nurture our bursts of brilliance as solopreneurs? Well, I think as solopreneurs, we have, an, have a unique challenge in that we get that burst of brilliance and we're just lit up with this amazing idea and we just in that moment, we're convinced we're geniuses and, and we know this is going to be the next big thing for our business. Um, but the, the benefit of being a solopreneur is that we can pursue and move forward on anything we want to. The, the hard part about being a solopreneur is sometimes that we don't have a staff, we don't have a board, we don't have anyone else to go to to run our ideas by them and say, I mean, do you really think this is going to work? Is this a really good idea? And so I think as solopreneurs, we need to have those those trusted sources, those people that we can go to at each stage in our ideation process. So our friends that are good at strategy and our friends that are good at just motivation and our friends that are good at kicking our butts when we start to make excuses for why we are not doing what we said we were going to do. And I call it, whose voice do you need in your head? Whose voice do I need in my head right now? So as I'm going through the process of my day, especially if it's a new idea, I'm asking myself, wait, whose voice do I need in my head right now? My friend who does strategy, my friend who's, you know, I'm starting to waver a little on the idea, a little nervous about it. And I have that one friend who's always like, oh, Teresa, my God, you're great. You're so awesome. You'll make it work. I know you will. Versus the friend who's going to, you know, like I said, you're dragging your feet, making excuses and that friend kicks your butt. So for me, I ask myself that question, whose voice do I need in my head at this moment? Because we can't be all of the voices for ourselves all the time. So having that, that group of people around you that you know you can trust and run those ideas by, I think is really critical for solopreneurs. Having those trusted voices that are not in the day-to-day -day, uh, trenches of your own business. Yes, I totally agree. So Teresa, if people want to learn more about you, where can they go? What's the best place for them to connect with you? Well, my website is bursts.brilliance.com and that's bursts with an S. And then we're on most of the social media channels. So we're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, um, LinkedIn, all kinds of places. You can find me all kinds of places. And on the website is the blog. And I would really recommend that people check out that blog every week because I wrote it. I started out writing it for artists and entrepreneurs. And that was my goal. And still, that's still where my heart is when I'm writing. That's who I'm thinking about. 
I'm thinking about artists and, and entrepreneurs and solopreneurs like myself, because we, we do have a really unique, fun, challenging journey um, as solopreneurs. And it's very exciting. So thank you so much for being with us today, Teresa. Thank you very much, Janine. And this is Janine Bolin with The Thriving Solopreneur, where we are the crazy people that have an idea, a suggestion, a way of doing things differently. And we go out on the cutting edge and say, we're going to make this new process or system happen. So if you need a little bit of upliftment, realize we broadcast every Friday and we will be happy to take you on different journeys of different solopreneurs as they give you tips and advice. Have a great day. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Thriving Solopreneur Show. We hope you found this episode helpful and uplifting. Be sure to visit us at janinebolin.com forward slash podcast, where you'll find a library of videos, books, and podcast programs to guide you to the future you envision for yourself. We also ask that you visit our sponsor, the8gates.com, for the books and online courses that share with you the debt-free living lifestyle that allows business owners like yourself to flourish. Have a great day and see you next time.